Don't know about you, but I'm definitely missing a trip to the pub. An ice cold glass of beer on a sunny summer's day, putting the world to rights with your nearest and dearest, and on more than the odd occasion, something to eat along the way. But pub grub doesn't have to be two meals for a tenner or a below par burger. There's one boozer in Fulham that far exceeds those expectations. Let's investigate, shall we? This is Source Material. Yes, here we are, another episode of Source Material, and we are indeed off down the pub for a natter this week, although it is the London local with a difference. The only pub in the capital with a Michelin star. The head chef is Sally Abbey, and she joins me now. Hello. Hi, how are you? I'm very well, thanks. How are you? Yes, good, thank you. Good. I mean, we've spoken so much over the first few weeks of, of the pod about life during this coronavirus pandemic and what it's like for the hospitality trade and, and maybe the financial aspect of it. But I wanted to start from your perspective. We're talking from a personal perspective, just about how much you, you miss going to work, really. Uh, massively, yeah. I mean, obviously, I'm so used to working so much and so hard and it's such a big part of my life that just to have that sort of ripped away from you, you know, two days notice is, is, has been really difficult to get my head around. So it's just been readjusting really and trying to think of, you know, ways to sort of fill the time. And um, I suppose it's also having lost that sense of purpose a little bit, you know, because you spend, I've spent, you know, the last 13 years of my life pushing to carve this career for myself. Um, and now that's kind of all been thrown into, um, question <laughs> you know we don't know where we'll be in a year's time two years time five years time you know there was a sort of plan and now it's all gone a bit airy so now we just need to redirection ourselves I suppose and figure out what the new normal looks like one of the definite themes already is that we know for one thing that chefs work long hours there's absolutely no doubt about that so so is it a case that for maybe a few days, a week or so, that it's it's maybe even a little bit nice to, to live a, a slightly more relaxed existence, but then eventually your natural drive and your natural desire to, to be busy and to be pushing forward kicks in? Um, I, I, To be honest, it has made me realise that there is more to life than going to work, um, which I did always know sort of in the back of my mind, but you'd never really let yourself admit it. But I think that... Um, it now is the time to sort of readdress that work-life balance. Um, I certainly don't want to go back to working, you know, 70-plus hours a week, which is what I was working. And a lot of chefs, you know, it's, it, people are still surprised when they hear of the hours that, that chefs and front-of-house work. Um, and I think that it needs to stop. Um, and I think now is the time we can change that and that we should come together as an industry to to readdress this work-life balance because it's ridiculous you know there's no other industry um that works so hard and gets paid so little um so you know i know obviously um in in the in the city they work crazy hours but they also get crazy paychecks but yeah no it's, it's definitely been an adjustment period <laughs> How do you th- do you think that that is just uh, almost a, uh, a product of the system that you know you worked in 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 great kitchens when you were sort of training and, and learning and, and that was the norm sixteen hours and it was probably the norm before that and eventually it just becomes people actually forget that it isn't normal because so many chefs in the industry that is yeah, what you do 
Ab- absolutely, yeah. And which is, you know, it has. I I have a saying that is just because that's the way it's always been done doesn't mean that that's the way it has to be. And that's kind of my my outlook on life, and especially in kitchens. You know, just because. just because we've always worked long hours doesn't mean that we always have to work long hours like let's come together and find a way to change it and I'm I'm kind of on a bit of a crusade with that at the moment um but ultimately the reason that chefs and and hospitality individuals work such long hours is because the profit margins are so small um so I think the general public needs to be alerted to that and they ultimately we'll have to start paying more for restaurant experiences there just there there is no two ways about it if it if we're gonna you know put ourselves on an equal playing field with other industries then they're just gonna have to pay more i tell you what, what we, one thing i love about the show is that you can sort of flip things around and do things in a slightly different order so i always send send all of our chefs all of our guests a little plan and it ends up just going out the window within about five <laughs> minutes so let, let's talk before we talk about the food about one of the the little bullet points I had was in terms of, of assessing the secret to, to your success at the Harwood uh, and is the happiness of your staff. And you, you're talking there about working long hours, but there are a lot of other things that you offer for, for the people that work with you designed, I guess, to, to make everyone enjoy working for you a little bit more. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think one of my, my biggest, uh, my f- first and foremost concern is my team. You know, they're the people that are going to go on and, and keep this industry alive and I think they should be treated with respect and treated fairly and, and um, I've worked hard to sort of create an environment that that encourages kindness and and respect and just just being nice to each other I know it sounds stupid but you know in so many kitchens um, it's become acceptable to to you know be a horrible person and and in and I never quite understood why I mean I know it's, it is high pressure and it is fast you know they need it now 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 and I understand that and I can work like that but I don't want people to call each other names just because of it there's just no need you know and so the kitchen we speak to each other properly I mean we swear we have a laugh don't get me wrong it's not boring but you know we don't swear at each other if that makes sense so we can be a bit boisterous but we never you know we never put each other down we bring each other up and we help each other and 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 that's the most important thing for me is that team because I know if you treat them with respect they'll respect you and then they'll have your back when you most need them to but I mean in terms of looking after them we do other things like um so on a monday afternoon my personal trainer ollie frost he um comes in and we do like a mobility class so it's basically so it's a little bit of yoga it's like a movement class so we do things for our shoulders and our wrists and our hips to sort of you know because we're standing on our feet all day we need to get get mobile so that's something that we do on a monday uh we also yeah, offer the hospitality action assist uh employee assistance program which offers things like debt advice um legal advice uh counseling you know a lot of chefs do have um mental health issues or drug issues or whatever they may be um and obviously i'm on hand to sort of try and help them with that as much as possible but i'm not professional so we have that in place so that if they come to me with problems i can sort of direct them in the right place rather than just being like no i can't help you because i think traditionally you know if, if you were making mistakes in the kitchen you just sort of get screamed at but actually, if you just take that person outside for five minutes and say, "Look, what what's going on? Like, what's wrong? Like, why you know why what why are you finding this so difficult? Or is there something going on?" And 
99 out of 100 times, they'll, you know, have just broke up with their boyfriend or they've been kicked out of their flat or, you know, there's some other problem going on. And I think the other one time they're probably hungover, to be honest. So. <laughs> Surely not. Uh, and, and were there times when, when you were a young chef where you thought, why isn't this being done? Or, you know, I'm struggling at the moment and, you know, the, the people in charge of, of various kitchens don't seem to, to get the, the point that yelling at me is, isn't going to make it any better or make me perform any better. Yeah, ab- absolutely. I think, again, it's that people, chefs especially, put so much pressure on themselves that I think, you know, the the, prof- the pursuit of perfection clouds them their behaviours to a certain extent. You know, they talk to talk to their staff in ways that they would never speak to a member of their family or, you know, can, can you imagine, I've said this before, but can you imagine if um, someone was stacking the shelves in Tesco and that particular person accidentally knocked all the stuff off the shelf? Can you imagine if the manager came over and started screaming at them and, and calling them, you know, the most awful names under the sun? Everyone would be outraged. And yet, it's acceptable in kitchens. Do you know? It just doesn't compute to me, and it, and it never has. And um, yeah, that's that's why I want want it to change. And I guess probably the other the other worry or the other potential reason that it still happens is that people have seen it happen in the past, whether it be on TV, on documentaries, or whatever. But but actually, it, it doesn't need to be like that. And and. I will, I will sort of use the example of your other half, in fact, because I was at, at restaurant Gordon Ramsay just before, probably about a week actually before restaurants were closed down and we, we were obviously lucky enough. To, it was our second second trip actually there with a friend. We went there when, when Claire was in charge, but then obviously went back and um, you go in and it's about half past nine on a Friday night. The restaurant is full. We had a, a pretty early reservation and it is, it's serene and it's calm, and and for those who don't know, Matt Abbey is, is the head chef there, who's your your other half. He's not standing on the pass chucking pans at people or yelling or or, or swearing. <laughs> um, I hope he doesn't do that when he gets home either. To be quite honest, but obviously, <laughs> no, I'd hit him back. <laughs> I, I should hope so too. But I would I would get, I would get the sense that you know somewhere along the line in the journey, or, or maybe it's just the way that society is moving forward. He has realised, you have realised, maybe the whole industry realised, you don't need to do it. Yeah, I mean, why it was ever acceptable in the first place is, is completely beyond me. But yeah, it's it's definitely changing, um, which is a good thing. You know, there's still there's still a lot of holes to plug in the system of hospitality and, and the way it works. But you know, it, it, this is real big picture stuff to to get it perfect. You know, I, I don't suppose any industry is perfect, but. I think there's a, there is still a long way to go, but I think there are enough people out there now standing up and saying, no, no, we're not going to do this anymore, um, that it, it is changing. And hopefully, you know, in the next 10, 20 years, it it will be a much better, better place to be because it's such a rewarding industry. You know, you meet some amazing people. You know, I'm still friends with people I worked in kitchens 13, 14 years ago. Um, and you, you meet really creative, inspirational people throughout all areas of hospitality. Um, and I just think we should treat them all fairly, really. <laughs> yeah, there's not, not too much to ask, is it? And, and do you also get the sense from your perspective that you can, you can see it working positively in, in those people that have accessed the help that, that work for you? And 
I'm sure you don't expect them to come up to you and thank you for them every time that they use the yoga or the mobility or the counselling, but you just, you see it in people's performances. I think employees respect when when their boss wants to do something positive for them. Yeah, I mean, absolutely, 100%. You know, some of my, um, I've got quite a lot of girls working in the kitchen um, and, you know, most of them have said to me at one point or another that, that they love working with me because they're not afraid to come to work. And I think that's such a big part of it in, you know, in so many kitchens, it's this culture of fear and people are scared to go, scared to make a mistake, scared to, you know, and, and I always say to people when they come, you know, don't be afraid because they, they'll make a mistake and they'll try and hide it. And I said, just tell me and we'll sort it out. It's actually more frustrating if you try and hide it than if you just tell me and we just sort it out because no, there's nothing that can't be fixed. It's just food. Like it's not, rocket science you know <laughs> I mean obviously it's detailed and it's um under pressure but ultimately most things can can be fixed and if they can't be fixed then you just do something else it's not you know open heart surgery or anything like that it's, it's just food so, so I think sometimes people forget that a little bit and you just have to sort of bring them down but but no I mean like when we do the class on a Monday um we always clap at the end of it and it's you know it's just a nice thing we do say thank you very much have a little clap and then off off the truck and get ready for service but no it it definitely helps and I think you know in in instances when you know someone calls in sick if I call someone on their day off and say look I'm really sorry can you come to work today they always come without a shadow of a doubt and I think that's you know that's the sort of respect that you end up earning from that obviously you know you're not going to do that to someone every single week but from time to time it does happen and you and when you need something from them, they, you know, you get it. So it, it works both ways. You'll always go the extra mile for a boss if you feel that they, they appreciate you, I think. Um, just on the, on the, on the point of, of women's chefs then, would you say, it might probably be a difficult question for you to answer, that more women would apply to work for another female chef, a female head chef? I think so, yeah. I think so, yeah. Um, because you know women tend to have more empathy and I think um, women are obviously not obviously but women tend to be more in touch with their emotions Um, and you know people say oh she's so emotional but actually emotional for me is a good thing like I use my emotion to to create a positive environment rather than rather than it being a negative connotation so um, yeah I I think that you know women tend to want to work for women you're listening to source material available from all major podcast providers to get in touch use the hashtag source material on social media let's talk then about the food and let's talk about pub food and where where the the line i guess is drawn between what's what's fine dining what's gastropub what what i mean i guess would would you say that what makes technically your food pub food is that it is so clearly when you look at the interior a pub yeah i think so i mean it it definitely um i mean my my food's not you know pub food <laughs> like no it's uh, listen it's, I've, seen um, it, I've been lucky enough to go yet but it's definitely not gammon and eggs and, no no you know, no fish and chips no <laughs> fish but, finger sandwiches but i mean the thing the thing that's that's nice about what we do at the harwood is that it's it's so coincidentally british like we strive to use as much british produce as possible i mean obviously we can't use you know lemons or something from the uk but we don't use chocolate we don't put pasta on the menu for example um yeah it it, so it's more of a british 
focus. We use lots of game, lots and lots of game. Um, and it's hearty food, you know, it's not tweezed, you know, 20 element faff. It's, it's you know, four or five elements done perfectly on a plate that makes you smile and makes you full. And I think that's what you want when you go to the pub, really, isn't it? That's the, what what's actually on the plate. As long as it, I, do, I suppose it's that, it evokes that sense of being in a pub and there's certain things that you would associate and certain things that you wouldn't associate. Um, so I think obviously we do like a Sunday roast and we do lots of sharing food and stuff like that. So it is, yeah, it's a, it's a posh pub. <laughs> it's a posh, yeah, that's, and when you're saying things that you would associate with a pub and feeling like you're in a pub, I mean, certainly when you look, you look down a menu and you see things that you would see in pubs like a Scotch egg or faggots or trifle, I guess it's, the challenge you almost would set yourself is how can I make the best possible scotch egg or the best possible trifle? Exactly, yeah. And, it, and then it's not about deconstructing it and it's not about using the most expensive you know, ingredients. We don't use caviar or lobster or things, you know, expensive. It, it's about how do we make this the most delicious it can be and that and that is that you know it's flavor driven and that's the most important thing it's it's about you know doing that strawberry trifle and thinking right how can we make the most intense strawberry flavored jelly what's in season right now that goes with strawberry so we'll start off with elderflowers then we'll do chamomile or lavender as this sort of the season goes on you know and making those things flavorful and punchy and things that you're going to remember and things that you want to eat more and more and more of because i think that's that's one of the biggest challenge um especially with three course menus is that you know it if you're eating a tasty menu it's one or two mouthfuls so it can be easy to be like oh wow that's amazing and then you move on to the next thing but if you're eating a whole plate of something every mouthful's got to be amazing so you really have to think about how that all gels together when you're eating the whole thing rather than just one bite and is that would you say do you think you found as a chef your sort of natural style and there isn't sometimes a, a sort of a, a danger that you almost because obviously you've worked in places that are fine dining that you, you sometimes feel yourself going a little bit too far that way enough to come back or is that it natural? Um, yeah, from time to time, I think, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll sort of be developing something and then you'll look at it and you'll think, mm, you know, maybe not, I, I don't think I ever put like too many elements on the plate, but maybe you think, oh, maybe we could rather than making that individual, we could just do one big thing and cut it up or, um, I think the biggest limitation for us is the is the size of the team. Uh, there's only five of us on a service, including myself. Which for you know for that sort of the number of covers we do and the the level that we cook at is is a really small brigade. You know, um, so that's the thing that I have to take into consideration the most is will we be able to make this without sending the whole kitchen down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's that's a decent uh thing to think about um one of the other things that, that i saw uh when you sort of do your research and you read bits and bobs about you is, is the title queen of game i'm doing inverted speech marks which <laughs> no one can see on a podcast but you can see because we're chatting on zoom but um game is an interesting one with people because a lot of people i think probably are a bit a bit wary of it would you say yeah i think it definitely divides people uh i know there's a lot of uh politics around it especially in terms of you know grouse shooting and and all of that kind of stuff i mean for me we we use lots and lots of deer venison um one of the owners mike robinson actually shoots it all for us um and 
what he does is, is basically maintenance. Like he maintains the deer population where he is up in the Cotswolds, because uh, otherwise they eat all the farmers' crops. And you know, there's there's millions of the things running around. So we use lots and lots of that, um, which. I think in the right hands, if it's cooked properly, it's it's as good, if not better, than than beef or pork or you know, it, and it's and it's super healthy, really lean, and it it's just incredible flavour. Um, but I think people are scared to cook it, and also they don't sell it in the supermarkets really, so people aren't familiar with it. Um, but we do we sell masses of of it, and even the sort of weird and wonderful stuff, as I like to call it, when we you know when we put hair on the menu, when we put uh, woodcocks or snipes or teals or stuff during game season, we people people are interested, and I think as long as the waiter um, explains it properly, you know people want to try new things for the most part, but if they're a bit scared, but if you've got a really confident waiter that can explain what it is and the flavour profile and match a wine with it, then people tend to sort of go for it because they think, you know, just going to eat chicken at home, so may as well eat woodcock <laughs> when, I, when I come out. <laughs> exactly, yeah, yeah. And maybe they can then start eating woodcock at home. I don't know how they'd probably go about getting it, but probably, uh, I guess... Yeah, I, guess I mean, you probably butchers, would struggle. <laughs> yeah, maybe the odd local butcher might have one, but... Um, uh, if if one household though in the country is going to be able to get woodcock at home, it's probably going to be yours. It's <laughs> it's a four Michelin star household. I mean, you've got another one on the wall behind you. But, but what is it like living and 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 being with uh, another chef? Yeah, I mean, you know, we met in the kitchen, uh, and we've well, we've been together twelve years now. Uh, so obviously, you know, it's just sort of it is what it is for us, I suppose. Um, we've been getting lots of messages on Instagram saying. Can we? Can I move in with you? Or I wish I was quarantined <laughs> with Matt and Sally. <laughs> it's quite funny. Um, yeah, I mean, I think like it's we sort of just take it in turns to cook, I suppose. Um, and it's funny. I kind of cook quite off the cuff, so I'll just be like la la, la you know, chuck a load of stuff in and la la, la and have a little bit of singing <laughs> and dance. But Matt. Um, He's going to kill me for saying this, but Matt takes everything a lot more seriously. Um, so if he's cooking, you just have to leave him alone because he doesn't want to conversate. So, um, yeah, it's quite quite different cooking styles. But it is nice, you know. We And we both, we do sort of bounce ideas off each other and share recipes. Like, we'd obviously never sort of do each other's dishes, but I'll be like, oh, I need... I want to know how to make... I'm going to put apple sorbet on. Do you have a recipe? And he'll be like, yeah. And he'll email me over the recipe and vice versa, which is obviously very useful for both of us. Um... But, you know, it it is, and the first few days we were off, we were obviously just like, oh my God, what's going on? We're not at work, and um, we were just making jokes about, oh right, it's 11 o'clock, let's clean the floor now, or, you know, <laughs> <laughs> maintain some form of normality, but that's all gone by the bit by the wayside now, but yeah, it's just, um, obviously, we both love cooking, but we both just hate washing up, this is the thing that's really starting to get boring now. <laughs> So basically what you're saying is if you do have someone who can move in with you in quarantine, they have to be your, your kitchen porter. Yeah, if anyone wanted to come and live with us and be our kitchen porter, we would feed them, yes, no problem. I think, that, I th- <laughs> I think you'd get quite a lot of applicants for that. I'm sure fair. you would, yeah, it's just, just a shame we live in a shoebox really, isn't it? Uh, yeah, well I think people would probably sleep on the sort of the road outside <laughs> if they could get breakfast, lunch and dinner from you every day to be quite honest. Uh, is it is it easier, do you think, to... You talked about sort of swapping recipes and chatting and running stuff by each other. That yeah, you, the the two restaurants that you work in are very different in terms of style, and that and it's not you're not necessarily in direct competition with each other in a lot of ways. No, not at all. Not at all. No, I mean, um, yeah, it's you know the restaurants are a world apart. I suppose they they both 
rooted in French techniques to a certain extent. Um, but yeah, it, it's just it's just nice to. We, normally, when we get home from work, we'd have a cup of tea and talk about the day. And you know, if if either one of us was with someone that wasn't a chef, it just I'd find it really frustrating that you know not being able to have that sort of insight into the other person's life, I suppose. And the thing with being a chef is that it's a lifestyle as well as a job. Um, I suppose that people that are accountants don't come home and speak to their other half about, you know... Um, they probably do. ...particular they, numbers. Be, well, yeah, but do. I don't think in the same way. Like, it's it's a passion, you know, it's a passion and, and it's what we want to do on our days off. We want to go out and eat and read cookbooks. I mean, God, we've got hundreds of cookbooks. It's so... It's crazy how many we've got. But, um, and they're all cookbooks, are they? Yeah, every single wow. one. So, yeah, it's it's nice that we've got that common interest as well as being married. <laughs> and and how often do you go to, to eat at Matt's and, and does Matt come to the Harwood? Um, I think Matt probably comes to the Harwood quite a lot more than I've been to <laughs> Restaurant Gordon Ramsay. I normally go to Restaurant Gordon Ramsay on my birthday. Um, I've been for the last, I think, three or four years, which is obviously quite a nice treat. Um, but Matt, Matt comes into the Harwood quite a lot. He loves loves a Scotch egg. <laughs> <laughs> the, the things we've learned about him, he takes it very seriously even when he's at home and he loves a Scotch egg. We're going to get him on a later episode, I think, and, and quiz him and get all the dirt on you in, in the meantime. Um, he, doesn't, he doesn't sort of come in for, for lunch and say, when you get home, do you know what? I think that, that venison was a little bit overcooked today. No, 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 he wouldn't dare. <laughs> <laughs> And not vice versa. Just to go back to the, the issue we were talking about, I guess, at the top about about the pressure that, that you guys work under. For for him, at a restaurant like that, that has had three stars for so long and is, you know, the standard bearer almost for, for English restaurants, there must be quite a lot on his shoulders, I guess. Yeah, big time. Yeah, it is a, it is a lot of pressure. Um or you can just the thing is with Michelin, obviously you know it's ama- like such an amazing achievement and an award and recognition like in the history behind it and everything. But I feel like you don't cook for Michelin, you know you're not. Well, you should. I don't think you should set your stall out to gain Michelin stars. I think if you're doing that, then you in the wrong business. You know it's not about winning awards. It's about pleasure and. Um, if the awards come, then that's an amazing added bonus, basically. But I think it's a must be a pretty stressful way to live your life, worrying about you know being inspected all the time. Let's talk about the the influences you've had in cooking then, and, and we've we've touched on the fact that you you worked in some some pretty useful restaurants in your time. So so who who has been <laughs> a, a big influence and had a big impact on on your career? Would you say? I mean, obviously, Brett um, Brett Graham has to is is the biggest, without a doubt, influence on on my entire career. I spent five years at the Ledbury, um, which is more than most, and then he's also part owner of the Harwood, and I've been there three years now. So you know, out of my thirteen years in London, I've spent eight years with Brett. So I can't really say that it would be anyone else. And he's you know been an amazing mentor, and not only have I learnt about food from him, but I've learnt how to like run a business, and that's been really invaluable. Um, and yeah, he, he, his, it's his sort of, his passion for game is the thing that sparked it in me, I suppose. And um, he's, you know, the way he works is quite different to, to most. And um, he's actually getting really into sort of agriculture and farming and stuff now, and he wants to start producing all the food for the restaurants, which is going to be really exciting. 
And I guess that, that now it, it's sort of come full circle that, that you're a, a head chef and you are a, a sort of a role model or a, an inspiration to, to people who, who come and work with you. What, what, what is it that makes a, a good mentor? Um, well, like I was saying before, really, I think it's, for me, it's all about respect. Uh, and I think it's, you know, giving people the time to learn and to understand people and to understand that everybody's different and everybody learns differently and to, to, to appreciate that and, and realise that you have to approach different people in different ways. Uh, and I think just listening to people, you know, and, and understanding people and having that empathy and, um, empowering people i suppose like wanting to build people up and, and make them the best they can be rather than putting them down all right well, we're nearly nearly at the end of the pod but we've got a few very very important questions to ask you before we go the burning issues so these are our burning issues our burning questions which we which ask all of our chefs every week a little bit of fun to finish with so question number one your ultimate three course meal so starter would have to be a crab salad, depending on season, but some crab's my favourite shellfish. Uh, main course would be venison wellington with mashed potato. Um, and dessert would probably have to be sticky toffee pudding. Solid. That is a, that's a good... That is, I mean, that <laughs> is the sort of thing you could probably find all three of those on the, on the menu at your place, I'd have thought. Yes, that is absolutely correct. So it's sort of surreptitious, little, little advertisement for the Harwood Inn and amongst uh, picking your ultimate three-course <laughs> yeah. meal. Um, okay, dream chef's table. You're cooking for four people, alive or dead. The only caveat is you're only allowed one chef. You don't have to have one chef, but you can have one if you want them. I, th- I was thinking about this. It's really hard. I think um, I'd have to have Elizabeth David. For my Poor chef. old Matt. Um, and then Michelle Obama. Poor old Matt's, out, well, Matt's on top <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, Michelle Obama, because I love her. Um, Emily Pankhurst, because I love her. Um, and then Kurt Cobain, because just always. <laughs> so uh, we've had some fantastically eclectic mixes on the, uh, so far of Dream Chef's Table, but one with Kurt Cobain and Michelle Obama, I think is Can probably... Mean, why not? <laughs> It's probably up there for that that, that sort of thing. Um, it's 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 really interesting that, that Michelle Obama and, and Emily Pankhurst should be two choices. Do you see yourself very much as, as a forebearer and someone sort of carrying on the torch in terms of absolutely of yeah feminism within your own industry? And and there's been people. I, I, it was quite sort of pointed when I watched back um, the British Menu and, and they were saying, "Oh, which guest judge would you like?" That, that you said. Well, I'd love to cook for Angela Hartnett, and she's probably won, mm. you know, a few years before you in terms of, of being an inspiration to other female chefs. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think, um, you know, it's not feminism is just about equality. It's not about man bashing or saying that men are crap or anything along those lines. It's just about saying that women should be treated the same as men. It's not that hard. <laughs> <laughs> Simple when you put it yeah. like that. Yeah, it doesn't need much more explanation than that, does it? <laughs> Um, kitchen nightmares then any really terrible moments you can remember from a, from a kitchen any dishes you've tried which have been a, a resounding failure oh I'm sure there is I don't know I think I can't believe I'm going to say this on to people that will listen I think one of the most embarrassing moments um, was when I was at the library I was on starters and we had to make staff food in the mornings and I, I put um, I tried to make this omelette and it and I basically put like all the leftover salad stuff in it from the day before and it was like pickled cucumber and all this awful stuff in there so I was quite 
uh, ridiculed for making what they called a scromlet for quite a long time after. Scromlet. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, initially selling it to me with a pickled cucumber in an, om- in an omelet doesn't. Yeah, it sound wasn't. Great. It wasn't great. In my defence, I was really in the shit. So. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, listen. I think probably there are everyone who's worked as a chef before understand that there are days where staff food just has to be a hodgepodge of what you can find rather than something particularly refined and brilliant. Unfortunately. <laughs> and, and scromlet day was one of those it days with the pickled was, cucumber. Yes. <laughs> um, let's have then to finish with your, your golden nugget, which is a piece of advice for home cooks, big or small, but something that can really sort of improve what people do at home in terms of when they're cooking. Um, it, it has, it's all about organisation. Like literally, um, that is the most important thing. You know, read the recipe from start to finish before you start it, have everything weighed out, make sure you've got all the right pans, make sure you've got everything ready before you start because it will make it a lot faster, a lot smoother um, and a lot more enjoyable. There we go. Beautiful. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been wonderful to chat to you. You can catch up on all the previous episodes of uh, Source Material via your podcast provider. We are back with another episode next week. Bye for now. Bye.